Since the start of May, Major League Baseball and its players associations have been working on a modified schedule in hopes to start the season. I'd be lying if I said that things were going well. For a brief breakdown of these negotiations, here's Richard. Initially, the owners agreed on an 82-game season with expanded rosters and a 14-team postseason format. The league reportedly didn't present the players' union with its revenue-sharing plan on the first day of negotiation. But when they did, Blake Snell had something to say. If I'm going to play, I should be getting money I signed to be getting paid. I should not be getting half of what I'm getting paid because the season's cut in half, on top of a 33% cut of the half that's already there. On top of that, it's getting taxed. MLB owners claim they were losing over $600,000 per game without fans. The players were presented a 67-page safety and testing protocol proposal that they countered only a few days later. Players were then presented a new economic proposal by Major League Baseball. They weren't impressed. The following week, Max Scherzer tweeted, Quote, After discussing the latest developments with the rest of the players, there's no need to engage with Major League Baseball on any further compensation reductions. We've previously negotiated a pay cut in the version of prorated salaries, and there's no justification to accept a second pay cut based upon the current information the union has received. Then MLB was seeking additional pay cuts of more than $800 million to make it economically feasible to play games without fans. To that... The players' union said they wanted to see evidence that supports, open quote, the dubious financial distress claims the league has made in its attempt to force the additional givebacks, close quote. Then they proposed a 114-game season with no additional pay cuts. And we're not even in June yet. Shadavidi, Sportsnet's baseball columnist, how would you describe the negotiations between the league and its players? Like, in one word? Um, dysfunctional. He joins us to break down this very messy situation on the Sports on Pause podcast. All right, we bring in one of our great colleagues at Sportsnet, and that is Shai Davidi, who I don't think has a formal title, but if I was going to give him a formal title, it would be columnist, commentator, reporter, just a uh, an absolutely insightful person when it comes to baseball, both for the Blue Jays as well as nationally, and someone who has um, been on many of the shows that Donovan and I do, and kind enough to take some time on the Sports on Pause podcast. All right, Shai, I'll ask you a question. By the way, great for you to be here. I will ask you a question, but the reality is the answer and the question can change by the time (laughs) we stop this podcast, but we forge on. As we are taping this, Major League Baseball and the MLBPA remain um, in a uh, deadlock when it comes to the game proposal. And the players want more games, obviously, because that means more salary, so around 70 games or so, and the owners want something around 60 games or so. It strikes me that you know one can use Solomon-like logic and land in the middle, but that is not always the case with uh, Major League Baseball. As we are talking to you now, Shy. Can you just give us your sense of where things stand between the two sides and where you think the likelihood is that they will find some kind of agreement? Well, I think right now, if we're going to use metaphors, they're in a cage match. Both of them are lying on the mat, and they're trying to figure out whether one of them is going to try to go for the pin or if they'll just accept the draw. And I really think that's sort of an apt description of how this whole thing is played out. 
it's been obscenely dysfunctional, far more dysfunctional than any of us would have imagined. And it's gotten vicious in a way that a lot of people in the industry are deeply concerned about. Uh, it seems that in some instances it's gotten personal. And if you're going to not only have a productive path forward with a CBA coming up, but also successfully run a season amid a highly contagious pathogen floating around in a pandemic, this isn't exactly good uh, proper groundwork that's been laid. So my belief is that they'll ultimately settle at the middle ground. Both sides will go to it grudgingly. But I think from an owner's perspective, they'll look at it and say, okay, well, we got a season and we got it as short as possible. We got some extra playoffs. We got a few wins here. The players will look at it and say, we protected the sanctity of a guaranteed contract uh, and we got as many games as possible amid this trying these trying times and feel good about it. But I think what's chilling for everybody is the likelihood that we're going to be doing this again in some way, shape or form ahead of 2021. And then there's a collective bargaining agreement negotiation that follows right after it. So uh, it's a pretty stormy time for the game. And any agreement now is, and the, especially when you consider the path to it, uh, does not bode well for the future. You mentioned they're both on the mat in this grudge match, but what are they really fighting for at this point? The difference between 60 and 70 games is 250 mil, which let's say is Steven Strasburg's contract. Does it not make sense for both of them to tap out at this point? I mean, it made sense for them to tap out a couple weeks ago, right? But I think that there are a couple ways to look at it. From a player's perspective, you're always looking to max out right? Because you've got a limited window in which to earn your money. The opportunity is small. People are always coming for you. You got to get yours when you can. And so this year, you don't want to sacrifice too much because you're not guaranteed next year or the year after that. From the owner's perspective, they're extended. And you know, I'm, I'm not going to cry poor for the owners, but I think we do have to acknowledge that there are legitimate cash flow issues in their business. All right. They've already spent hundreds of millions of dollars uh, so far this season on their employees, a little bit to players, to minor leaguers, uh, in a number of different ways. And they have collected basically zero revenue, right? That's an issue. And now you're not in all likelihood going to have any sort of attendance at all during the 2020 season. And so, you know, Forbes said that, you know, gate revenues accounts for 40% of the overall revenue in the game. But that varies from team to teams. For some teams, it's 50. Some teams, it's 60. Some teams, it's even 70%. If you're going to try and you know run your business without 70% of your revenue, I mean, that's tough. So every little bit that you extend yourself, that's extra debt. And then some owners may be leveraged in some of their other businesses. Some owners may have their wealth related to equity as opposed to liquid assets. So this isn't as straightforward from an ownership side as these guys are super rich. They can cover it. Um, you know, in theory, that's true. And in reality, that's true. But in practical application, it's a little bit more difficult than that. And I think that's why that's contributing to the zero sum element of this. But then also, I think both sides are also staking out ground ahead of the upcoming negotiations that they're going to have. And each one of them wants to show the other side, hey, you know, we're strong, we're ready to go. You, you want to fight it out? Uh, we'll fight it out. So as a fan looking at all this, who should I be sympathetic for? On the one end, I look at it and I see people in all industries giving up salary because of the new realities, new market that we're in. So players really shouldn't be 
any different. But on the other end, I look at it as a player and think, well, the evaluations of these franchises certainly aren't changing. And you really judge businesses and their fiscal health over a long period, not a small sample. So should the owners, the ones who I really feel bad for, where do you side on that pendulum? Well, I really haven't liked the way the owners have approached this from the get-go, right? You know, March 26, you reach an agreement and it's prorated salaries for 2020, right? That's your agreement. Then all of a sudden, they float out the idea, hey, we can restart a season, but we're looking for a 50-50 revenue split with players, which is essentially a salary cap. And they know that's an ethmet to the players. They know that's what the reaction to that is going to be. So... That's a trial balloon that you let out, but to me, that's that's a bad faith act. And obviously, the players took it that way too. And then you start going through these series of offers where you're basing your offer on a percentage of revenue, as opposed to following the pro rata structure, which you agree to. And I think what ultimately drove the owners back to the pro-rated offer is they understood that legally that the players could grieve that the owners weren't negotiating in good faith by refusing to offer the prorated structure. So if you're acting in that way and you change your course because you haven't acted in good faith, you know that's essentially an acknowledgement that you went about this in a way that was trying to penalize and extract concessions from your employees. So I think because of that, we should worry about the players. I think that the way that they've try to position the players as greedy and bad guys. I just don't understand why you would do that to your product at this point in time. Uh, you know, the, I think that they were trying to guilt players into taking less money. And when ultimately, you know, you made an agreement and they gave you, they did give you a concession. They took prorated salaries as opposed to the full contract this year. There was a concession on the players part already. Uh, you know, that, to me is is pushing players a little bit too far. It's not a good way to treat your employees. And not only are they your employees, they're your product. If you have players, you have nothing. If you don't have players, you have nothing. So I think because of that, you can certainly look at the situation and sympathize with players. And you know this really could have been handled in a different way that it wouldn't have been so distasteful. It wouldn't have been so public. It wouldn't have been so ugly for the industry. With all this talk about labor and negotiations and finances, there has not been much, at least sort of public discussion about the specifics of a return to play plan. I have no doubt Major League Baseball has been working on that, but compared to what we know about the NBA's return to play plan, there's very, very few details when it comes to Major League Baseball. From your perspective, if we can get past this labor stuff, how concerned should the public be about whatever Major League Baseball's plans are? Because I think, ideally, they'd love to play games in home markets. Um, but that might not be the case, given that we are seeing outbreaks now in the United States in, in many places that we did not see outbreaks in a couple months ago. Yeah, that's really been the elephant in the room, Richard. And you know, as, as this public fight has played out, COVID-19 cases have surged in a number of U.S. markets, including Florida, where the Blue Jays could potentially be playing. And then it hasn't been discussed nearly enough. And I don't think that MLB is anywhere near as close to finalizing a protocol compared to the other leagues. You know, they've had to get this economic piece settled and it's been uh, a very difficult one. And, you know, I think that they've got an idea of how spring training would work. 
you know, I've heard that they've set up different things at their spring facilities in terms of where you go for a temperature check on your way in and putting together the mechanics of how people enter and exit the building, how they would space people out. But all that still has to be agreed upon with players. And because they're not going to go with a hub city format, you know, they think that this is going to be a lot more complicated for teams because they've got to try and keep their players as isolated from the general public as possible. And look, if you're a player and, you know, you're in whatever city and you go out for dinner and, you know, you cross paths with people and all of a sudden you contract it and, you know, maybe you end up in a, in a, in a crowd by accident or just running into some traffic uh, on a street and you could get into a super spreader situation. And I think that's a risk that all of us take are taking right now whenever we go into public. But, you know, do you want your athletes being put in that spot? Is that fair to the public? I mean, that's a whole other discussion and one that really has gotten lost within the economic and labor battle. But, you know, I think that there's a public concern there. But, you know, at some point, we're not eliminating risk unless we're all locking into our houses again. There's no elimination of risk. So everybody's operating under risk mitigation at this point. And we all have to trust that one another is being as responsible as we can be. Uh, And if you're Major League Baseball, trusting your players to be responsible is going to be a big part of this. You mentioned the potential impact on the future CBA negotiations. What's the potential impact of all this on the future free agency market, which oddly enough is not that far away? It's funny, isn't it? That, you know, it's uh, at this point, it's uh, the season's about to start. It'll start in mid to late July and, you know, free agencies like uh, November. Uh, It's pretty wild. But the impact is going to be substantial. And I think if you're a team that already has a lot of money on the books, you know, in the absence of certainty that you're going to have fans in the stands next year, I think that you're, you've got to be very, very cautious in your spending and very concerned about where you're going because no, nobody understands what this is going to do to the fan experience and people's willingness to come to sports venues, right? We're almost taking for granted that as soon as there's a vaccine or as soon as there's a uh, reliable antiviral, that life's just going to go back to normal and everybody's going to be do all the same things that we used to do. And you're going to be cool sitting with 40 or 50,000 other people that you don't know in a crowded stadium, packed in tight and, and doing all these things that we took for granted. And I just don't know that that's the case. I don't think that we should automatically expect that to happen. So I, I still think Mookie Betts gets paid, but how many teams are going to be comfortable giving him $300 million on his next contract? You know, how many teams are going to be able to afford that? So I think that's definitely going to be a substantial impact on the market. We may see teams just completely dump money just out of financial necessity, which would be troubling and unfortunate. And I think that we may end up seeing some teams uh, who aren't traditional spenders maybe be a bit more opportunistic just because of where their payroll situation is set up. So if you've got less future commitments on your books, uh, you've got much more opportunity to take money on than maybe some of the bigger clubs who have hundreds of millions of dollars on the books for several years down the road uh, and maybe feeling pretty uncomfortable with that right now just because of the volatility in every aspect of our existence. Shai, you know, I don't know the answer to this, but I think about this a lot. 
You know, so much of baseball's finances heading forward predicate on the fact that the game will return at a certain point to what it was before with fans going to all these ballparks and and buying tickets and buying concessions and sitting next to each other, next to strangers, 30, 40, 50,000. But here's the scenario that's not so unrealistic. Like, what if we don't return to that normalization so soon? And what if in many, many cities, people are not necessarily reticent about baseball or watching baseball, but reticent about taking part in the experience of baseball? And as opposed to 40,000 people, there's 12,000 people at stadiums in 2021, 2022, and there is no quick return to the sport when it comes to crowds. Again, so much of that will be on contingencies. Is there a vaccine? How does the public feel? But it's not inconceivable, Shy, to think that whatever baseball was in 2019 and 2018, like that's not coming back so soon. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Richard, just, just to add to that too, in a sense, this is coming at the worst possible time for baseball because you're already dealing by and large with an aging fan base and you're struggling to connect with a younger generation uh, that sees your game as too slow with too many dead periods in it and too long. They don't want to, people don't want to commit three hours, three plus hours every day over the course of an entire summer to be a fan. You know, these are real challenges for the game. And you see some of the culture clash within the game too, just in terms of players letting their personalities out versus the traditional, uh, you know, you put your head down and you don't celebrate a home run and you don't pump your fist after a strikeout. And, you know, that tired, you know, unwritten rule argument, you know, the game is just in a weird place all around. So you've got a, a troubled relationship between players and owners. You've got a troubled relationship between them and fans. And you've got this sort of societal sea change in terms of the way young people are consuming products, uh, not just sports, but all their entertainment products, their expectations for that, how much they're willing to commit to it. There was going to be a lot of adapt or die for baseball regardless. But now with the pandemic too, it may bring this about a little bit faster. Uh, and that's another reason why I think this labor strife is so detrimental to the game. Like this is really a time when the sides need to be working together uh, as much as a, that's a cliche, but you know, they've got to figure out solutions because they've got to rescue the game. Uh, and I think there's just on both sides, there's a lot of short-sighted thinking in terms of we got to milk every dollar we can at every moment. And that's not what this situation calls for. It's funny because I just think going into this, we all thought, well, baseball is the sport where social distancing is by far the easiest They'll be back the earliest and it would be a great opportunity for them. Now it looks like a lost opportunity when it does come back. You know, 60, 65 games, expanded playoffs, universal DH. What will the game look and feel like in comparison to what we've been accustomed to? I think on the field, it'll look by and large similar. I think the what's really interesting is just trying to imagine what it's going to be like in front of empty stadiums. I mean, we've seen, uh, you know, the images from from South Korea, from Taiwan, and uh, you know, Germany with the Bundesliga. It, it's eerie, you know, hearing games at, or watching games at empty stadiums and not having that piece. And I think that you know, baseball, if they're smart, 
they're going to include some things that will add to the game, whether that's mic'd up players, additional features, alternate streams that you can sign up for. They've got to, they've got to change the experience. They've got to start giving the new generation of fans more of what they need. And I think they've got to let players put their hair down and just be themselves and not try to homogenize the the player personality and just have everybody be safe and aw shucks and God willing, you know, uh, you know, I was just looking for a good pitch kind of nonsense, you know, like just let them be who they are and not try to just, you know, just beat out the personality of them. I think that would be important because, you know, the, the game is going to lose something without the fan interaction. You're not going to have that intensity fa- uh, crowds bring and the, that noise, that ambient noise that builds up big moments and builds up important points in ball games. That's going to be missing. Uh, so you're going to have to give people something to counter that. And I, I think that's going to be really pivotal for the game. One of the token things about baseball is the historical references. How will a Cy Young Award winner or someone who hits 400 or a World Series champion be viewed after this season over time? I feel like we have, we've had a lot of these sort of asterisk discussions and whether or not like whatever seasons and in whatever league, you know, is this going to be the same? I've heard people saying like for the, anybody who wins a Stanley Cup this year, the winners of previous year's Stanley Cups won't consider it as genuine as their runs. I just think that's such utter nonsense. Uh, you know, like our entire existence right now is an asterisk, right? Like when you can't go to the grocery store without that being an ordeal, uh, when people have to be wearing masks and gloves and washing their hands 40 times a day and, and all these different things to keep ourselves safe. I mean, whatever we get for a baseball season, that's all, that's awesome. And let's let's just be happy if they get through it for all the sports leagues and then view that as an accomplishment. Uh, at least that's my outlook. And, you know, I think it'll be interesting if somebody hits 400 or something along those lines. But, you know, the, the numbers are the numbers. And uh, I think that people will be able to put this into context just as like, you look back as, as seasons during the Second World War, First World War even, you know, you understand that there were bigger things going on in the world at that point in time. And this is clearly the most unique time for decades, at least, uh, in, in the sports world. And I think that will be the historical context that people will view that through, or at least should. Are there any unintended consequences, positively or negatively, to the Blue Jays? Like, does any of this change their trajectory as a franchise? Sure. I mean, like, the shortened season, you know, just gotta get hot, man. And Nate Pearson starting the season with the Blue Jays this, right now under these circumstances, he's good to go wire to wire as long as he's healthy. And all of a sudden, if he's what we think he is and he teams up with Ryu, you can scare some people. And they just need Matt Shoemaker to be a little bit good. They just need that good half season that Randall Gritchick and Teoscar Hernandez have every year. Uh, you know, hope that they have the the good half as opposed to the the struggle half of their seasons, and they can be scary. Plus, you know, if it, if it does end up being eight playoff teams per league, you know, that's a pretty open route into the playoffs, and then you can ride the wave. So the Blue Jays could come faster than people expect. I think that's the sort of the the near term impact from a longer term benefit. You know, the Blue Jays as one of the teams with minimal payroll commitments beyond this season, you know. 
they could accommodate a big contract. You know, if the, you thought that it was a run at Mookie Betts was completely unrealistic, well, maybe it's a bit more realistic now. And, you know, the Blue Jays have started doing business with Scott Boris again, which is good. There is an existence. There's a bit more of a trust there now. There's a bit more of a pathway. And Scott Boris knows that the Blue Jays are willing to ante up. You know, they were poking around on Garrett Cole. How seriously, I don't know. But they were willing to spend if that was if that was going to be an option for them. And, you know, if Mookie Betts is willing to entertain this or finds his market not as robust as he might have expected, uh, then maybe the Blue Jays can start playing for some of the bigger free agents again and sort of find a more open pathway to, to bringing players here. So uh, I think it's an interesting time. And the way that the Blue Jays have been positioned for this crisis actually worked out really well for them on a, on a number of different levels. I want to juxtapose this with another ongoing crisis, the return to play conversation in international soccer and in the NBA and the NFL has been related to a rollout in plans in terms of what things may or may not happen in terms of the racial reckoning that's going on in North America. I haven't heard any conversation like that in terms of what baseball may or may not do when it comes back, which kind of, to me, makes me feel like, well, black lives don't matter to baseball. Is there a missed opportunity there when the entire conversation has been about prorated salaries and the number of games? Sure. I mean, there, there's absolutely work to be done there. But I will say that one of the proposals included money for racial justice causes. And so that's a start. And you know, I think that you had the, the general managers make the symbolic gesture during the draft uh, holding up the signs, Black Lives Matter as part of the broadcast and making donations to a variety of causes, that matters. I think one of the issues in baseball is that there's such a, a minority of Black players that, you know, they're, you, you don't have that strong group like you do in the NBA and you, you don't have uh, these driving forces uh, seeking change like uh, Evander Kane and uh, Kim Alou in hockey, that's something that needs to change. And, you know, a, a number of players put together a video recently that was out on uh, on Twitter, and, and that's a great start. But, you know, Adam Jones said this a while ago, that he was reluctant to, to speak out on these matters because there weren't a lot of people in the game that looked like him. And that's unfortunate. And that's something that, that has to change where that no player should feel like he can't put his voice out there and that his voice could be ignored uh, just because nobody around him looks like him. And so, you know, I would hope that we would see more white players step forward and go out of their way to make this as much of their cause as we've seen in some of the other leagues. I think that's something that remains to be seen and something that baseball will need to be held to account for if it doesn't occur. So I, w- I would hope that that's going to be there. It's not an excuse, but, you know, I think because of the amount of resources for both the players and the league side that have been taken up by this labor fight, they might not have been able to get to this the way some of the other leagues have. You know, we'll see if they, they're going to come at this with something a little bit more meaningful than the, a few statements and you know, some dollars thrown around. 
Well, I don't know if Anthony Alford is going to be a part of the season when it happens, but he had some meaningful words and statements to you. That is a piece on sportsnet.ca, where you are a baseball columnist. You're also the author of Big 50, Toronto Blue Jays, and you're a journalism instructor at Centennial College, and you're trusted by me and many others on giving us perspective on the game we love. Thank you for doing it again. My pleasure. Thanks, guys. Well, we thank Shai Davidi for his uh, insight and thoughtful comments as always. And Donovan, this situation is so fluid that between the time we taped our conversation with Shai Davidi and the time we are now taping this part of the podcast, the Philadelphia Phillies announced that five players and three staff members working at the club's Clearwater facility had tested positive for COVID-19. The team is closing all facilities in Clearwater immediately. The likelihood is by the time you listen to this podcast, that news will have been updated, and who knows what other news will come down the river. You know, Donovan, it's sort of cliche at this point, but it always is true. You don't make the timeline. The virus makes the timeline. No question. I mean, this virus is something that is not evergreen for certain. So I have no faith, especially the way the MLB talks have gone, that the news that we talked about on this podcast, by the time it gets through to you, through your earbuds, may have changed tenfold. Uh, That's just the way the coronavirus pandemic and the MLB negotiations have been thus far. Speaking of the pandemic and the coronavirus, that brings me to our last word. In the daily podcast put out by the New York Times, it's got a recent episode. It's on June 15th. What we've learned about the coronavirus, there has been so much learnings and really it's changed the way we relate to each other and certainly the health industry. That's a really good listen. Richard, what do you got for us this week? Well, I'll take one from our excellent producer slash researcher, Dan Lormer, who forwarded a uh, piece from two University of Arizona professors describing what flying in the COVID-19 era will be like and what to look for before you book a flight, head to um, getpocket.com and the uh, headline of the story, should you fly yet an epidemiologist and an exposure scientist walk you through the decision process. Donovan, um, there are certain things that I think people are really, really going to be heightened. Uh, Their sensitivity and their fear will be heightened when it comes to our COVID-19 or a post, it's not really a post-COVID-19 world, but sort of as we try to head out of uh, the worst of the pandemic and flying is going to be one of them. All of us have done it. I think prior to 9-11 took certain securities for granted. And now we're going to be thinking about the security of our health. So uh, I recommend this piece because um, all of us at one point, I think are going to fly somewhere and we really need to know how we can best protect ourselves. Protecting ourselves and health security is the name of the game still at this point even though there's been a bit of a fatigue we saw a spike after mother's day so this father's day weekend please enjoy your friends and family if you're lucky enough to be able to potentially travel and see them but do be diligent continue to take care of yourself and others